Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast. Website, mwr.com. If you you're somehow just stumbling across here. And what is this place? What is What are these two guys talking? That's where our written stuff is at. Jeremy here hanging out with Matt as we do every week, now multiple times a week. We had games, Matt. We had multiple games this past week. Felt good, didn't it? It did. To watch football, outcomes, depending on your team, great. Some, not so great. And I will have to, um, you know, tell people – I'm not very good apparently at one certain thing, but it's all good. Um, you you were at the Fresno game. Was it really like a hundred plus? How hot was it? They said TV it broke the thermometer essentially. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I mean, <laughs> obviously right. being up in a press box, I was lucky enough to kind of be inside. But yeah, like when you're out there basically sitting in a concrete bowl on you know plastic seats or, or metal bleachers and. You know, it, it, yeah, I mean, the, the high at the airport, which is where the National Weather Service has their little beacon set up or whatever, was 104 degrees. So, yeah, imagine like you're just standing in a parking lot for a few hours and you kind of get the sense of what it was like to be in the stadium. Because, of course, they had the pregame shoes are going to melt, people. We got extra oh, yeah. shoes because they're going to melt, and they and they did melt. <laughs> and and that they might explain that might explain why in a game that Fresno State ended up beating UConn forty five to nothing, um, I would I would estimate like ninety percent of the people in attendance probably bailed once it got to like the middle of the third quarter. Well, because it was a good yeah maybe even halftime because this game like watch the first quarter. Fresno kind of stalled out. UConn got that first down on the uh, fourth in the QB sneak from Zergotis there. But after that, whew, downhill. Defensive touchdown. Low scoring game. That second quarter's win. All right. We're going to, we're here to play football, guys. UConn, go home. We'll send you home early. That like everybody else at halftime, when it's 31 to zero at the break and UConn literally can't do anything, I'm not hanging on that heat no matter what it is. Yeah, and you could tell, like, especially when, when Fresno State kind of struggled to move the ball in the first quarter, they weren't far away from having some pretty serious connections. Like, I remember there was one where 
you know, Jalen Cropper had some room to run after the catch, and and Hayner I think just threw it in front of him a little bit. Um, yeah, I remember that. But you know, beyond those kind of initial fits and starts, I guess you would say like Hayner was what I think he completed his first four passes ironically enough that it didn't really go anywhere. You know, he was four of seven for like ten yards in in this first handful of pass attempts, and then he came alive in that second quarter. And then all of a sudden, you know, 37-yard connection to Josh Kelly, 17 more down the down the sideline, down the right sideline to Jordan Mims, and then a red zone connection with uh, with your guy Ty Jones. Heck yeah, Ty Jones with the fade. That's right. <laughs> and then you know, yeah. from and then from there, you know, they had two more one-play scoring drives later in that same quarter. You know, 61 yards to Ronnie Rivers. You know, that gave him the program's all-time touchdown record. Uh, is it really a record, Matt? He's played too many games. <laughs> no, it, yeah, it all counts. It all it counts. It should count, right? <laughs> yeah. And then an 86-yard touchdown to Jalen Cropper, in which at some point, you know, you were seeing screenshots on Twitter of him being surrounded by what was it, four or five UConn defenders. But he ended and up bouncing bull, off. Of bulldozing the guy. <laughs> yeah. And, I watched him play four times. Like, he dropped his helmet. It's like, I'm out of here. See ya. Yeah, and that was actually something that they talked about I can't remember if it was on the Fresno B or what, you know, that, that Cropper had sort of bulked up at least a little bit over the off season, like added 10 or 15 pounds. And so now all of a sudden you've got, you know, a little more strength to go along with the top shelf speed. And that's how you end up getting plays like that. And by the time things were done, you know, they were up 24 or excuse me, 28 to nothing, 31 to nothing. And they cruised from there. So even though they definitely let off the gas a little bit in the second half, um, you know, part of that had to do with the fact that it was so hot that multiple players from both teams ended up cramping pretty significantly. Jay Kaner left early. Yeah, yeah, and because it, it, it didn't look pretty at first, but the fact that he was able to kind of get off the field under his own power for the most part, I think um, I can't remember who brought it up in the press box that he was like double fisting Gatorades in the in the injuries <laughs> or whatever. And, and honestly, that sounds about right with as hot as it was. Like I was. I was in an ostensibly air conditioned place and I was pounding like little glasses of water every, every 15, 20 minutes or so. So, um, yeah, but he still finished the day with over 300 yards and three touchdowns. You know, backup Logan Fife game came in, got some valuable reps. All in all, a pretty good performance. I think it was sort of what you expected to see against an opponent like UConn, which definitely had its flaws. Um, but, you, know, you mean we, like the very first play they ran and basically stumbled on the handoff? <laughs> yeah, yeah, things like that. But I think, I think you know, if you were looking for, you know, ways to kind of assuage the concerns that the Bulldog came into the year with, it's the fact that the defense really stepped up too. You know, they only gave up 107 yards of total offense. You know, they gave up basically the equivalent of 1.8 yards per play. And, and that, that's including the, that's including the garbage time. So like even the guys who were coming in later in the game, like the backups, you know, going up against mostly UConn starters, they held them in check. You know, we talked a little bit about Kevin Mensah, you know, coming into the game. He had 11 carries for 31 yards. You know, his backup, Nate Carter, had eight carries for 10 yards. And, and Zergiotis, who you mentioned a minute ago, completed exactly 50% of his passes for 61 yards. Their longest plays, a pair of 13. Yard plays or run play and a pass play. Is it too cruel to call UConn the Bishop Sycamore of the weekend? Yes, because <laughs> at least kidding. at least UConn is a real team. <laughs> that's true. I just thought, yeah, that's a that's another story. If you don't know what that is, you're lucky. But 
I like the defense. Just Google it. It's it's worth your time. It's sad. It's weird. I chuckled a few times, but it's really just sad. It's not a good thing. But this game, you're right, defense is the main thing. Zero points. Because that's, like, your and I's biggest concern. Like, how's the defense going to play? And, again, it's only UConn who will win maybe one game. They might beat Yale. They might beat Yale and they play them, like, in a week or two. That might be a victory they maybe. might get. That's what I said, maybe, yeah. Because oh. um, I think their overall, overall record is, like, 500 versus the Bulldogs. So, But zero points, fewer than two yards per play overall, I think essentially what it was. Would you say 1.8? Yeah. Um, that was the – Defensive touchdown, which they reviewed too many times. It was super obvious it wasn't a pass. Mm-hmm. The, the announcers were like, are they going to review this? Are they going to do it? I'm like, no, the ball was not out of his hand. He wasn't going forward. It was at the top. It's like, whatever. But the offensive line is also concerned. No sacks allowed, only a couple TFLs, I think four in the game. So the one thing you see when you see these type of games, when there's concerns about areas, I don't care who you're playing, if it's the worst team in the country – or whatever team that you're supposed to beat, as long if you do well in the areas we think you're not going to do well, it's it's obviously better than not doing well. That's the simplest thing to say. Mm-hmm. But how way they how well they did it? There were there weren't any stretches in the game where oh crap the defense did this or let up that or offensive line did that at all in this game. It was all very solid above average victory, and that's what you want to see when you're supposed to be the better team and the concerns they had. We're not there in this game. They'll show up when they play Oregon and other better teams because they're better and they'll, it'll be more difficult. Well, wh- but that's like the, note, be- the best, best thing. One thing I'll note, though, is that there were, I think, two or three different instances where you know a better quarterback could have really hurt the Bulldogs with some big downfield gains. Like, I know I remember there was at least one play with First Cam quarter, Ross right? you know, down the seam, and, and Zergiotis just overthrew two or three passes that would have gone for at least 20 or 30 yards. That's yeah. not, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going to have to get cleaned up in the film room, I would imagine. But, you know, you have to hope that that's the case because, you know, going into Oregon next week, which we'll talk more about that game a little bit later this week, whole other whole other beast that you're tackling yeah. there. And Oregon's going to be more capable of taking advantage of those mistakes. Yeah, I think there's a first drive where those pass, like the DB just is like a double fake and like a DB yeah. slip. And then just was overthrown. It could have been a touchdown possibly in that first mm-hmm. drive. But yeah, you're right. Those type of things did show up. It wasn't many. It's a couple. But then again, if you're playing Oregon and those three convert for 17 points, you're out of, I mean, you're done. You're exactly. done for. If, if, if those big plays go down and lead to even nine points or something, if they're just field goals. But yeah, there's nothing else about this game to see. It's good. Nobody got hurt, I don't believe. The offensive line played well. Defense played well. Just very, very minor things like nitpicking the offense, not doing no no offensive points until the second quarter. That was a minor concern because also they, they weren't moving the ball in the first little bit. So I was like, what's going on here in the first drive or two? But then it's probably just not playing because their first their first three drives were three and outs, mm-hmm. so or four and outs, whatever. They punt essentially four plays on one of them. But yeah, so that's only some very minor things. But they went forty five to zero, like nitpicking over everything, right? Yeah, I mean, it was a good start, but again, whole whole other level of, of difficulty coming up again against the Ducks. Leveling up at Autzen Stadium. All right, next oh, yeah. game, which, oh, man. I don't think people have properly yelled at me enough about getting this wrong. <laughs> I was so wrong in this game. UCLA. Oh, hey, guess what? Who's more wrong, me at the outcome or Stu Mandel saying it's half an hour to the beach on a mid-afternoon Saturday. Who's more wrong, Matt? Or is uh, Andy I mean, Staples? 
Who's more I mean, rock beer considering, than? Considering my in-laws live out near Pasadena, uh, and I went to Redondo Beach from there not that long ago on a Saturday, um, that, that's an hour drive right there. Yeah. Minimum. I have our buddy Ben. You can't, get, you can't get anywhere in LA in 30 minutes. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Our buddy was it Ben, but like at 1 a.m. you can get there in 29 minutes or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he put the Google map. Like I've been out there, and not not recently, but like I know Irvine's not not Los Angeles, obviously, but like getting anywhere, it's like or it's it's a mess in that area. But it's like there's a million reasons. Like it's it's the stadium. Like people love the Rose Bowl, but. It's all bleacher seats. It's no different than like Bulldog Stadium and parts of it. You know what I mean? We're the seating mm-hmm. essentially. It's like it's super hot. Yes, there are other things to do. It's, it is the opener. It's like whatever because maybe they should give away free tickets for this game and not the LSU game next week because they had to give away tickets for that. But it's distracting for me saying Hawaii had a chance to win this game. They lose 44 to 10. Um, I don't know what to say. Hawaii's defense. I know exactly Hawaii is not very good. No, I mean I I I don't want to go that far. Zach, what I, sure what I will say, transfer. what I will sure say, okay. is that what is what was disconcerting about it is that it was eerily reminiscent of some of the worst performances we saw from this Warriors team a year ago. Yeah, unfortunately. In that, in that they couldn't really run the ball all that effectively. Um, they couldn't stop the run at all. Like you mentioned, Zach Charbonnet. Um, six carries, 106 yards, and three <laughs> touchdowns. Um, you know, between he and Britton Brown, you know, they put put up over 180 yards and four scores between the two of them. Um, you know, that was obviously kind of a, a glaring weakness. The fact that you know every time Shivon Cordero came, you know, went back to pass, he had a defender in his grill. It seemed like yeah. every other play, and when he did have time to throw, like they had no downfield element. That's what you discussed for in the previews. Like they had, they're like, who's going to be down the field? Like Jared Smart, one catch for nine yards. That's what was their, your your concern pre. Like who they'd all these guys the past couple of years. It was telling but nobody that Calvin had, Turner was the was the first guy to to hurt UCLA down the field with that thirty yard catch. Yeah, and only had five catches mm-hmm. for fifty total yards. Like the the mate, you're right. Like the no, he's like I noticed a couple plays short quarter year had when they finally decided to maybe do a rollout or something. But he was pressured, what, I have mean, like six, what, eight times? No, sorry. Technically, officially, only two QB hurries. It was more than that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I mean, exactly. And there was just like the, oh, the really, man. the really bad mistakes as well. Like the first interception that he threw straight to the defensive lineman. Lineman. Um, the ball. Yeah. yeah uh, Daytona Jackson. Um, you know, between that and the fact that the punter inadvertently took a knee on, on, a, you know, that first possession, I think it was. Uh, yeah. Which set up UCLA in, in the red zone. Um, the punt where it basically caught it midair. Nobody touched him. Like it was, it was down. a low. It wasn't a low snap. But nobody touched the guy. He got back there. He could have caught the ball before he threw it in the air. He almost did. Well, and they had another blocked punt as well later in the game as well. Yes, a lot of issues here. <laughs> yeah, and so like to me, it's like the fact that they were the same issues that we had been seeing before is what's most concerning to me if I'm a Hawaii fan. Like, you would think with a normal offseason to prepare, you know, they didn't really get a chance to lean on their strengths because UCLA rarely had to test the secondary. And and when he when they did, you know, Dorian Thompson-Robinson didn't really no. do all that well as a passer. He was only 10 of 20 for 130 yards. But then they figured out they didn't really need it anyway. And so it was yeah. like, 
you know, now all of a sudden it looks like that's the blueprint for beating this Hawaii team is, you know, if you can beat them up up front, then the rest isn't going to matter. It's also disappointing. Like we talked about how their defensive coordinator last year, certain games, they scheme against teams so well in this game. Here's the thing. Defensive coordinator can't tell you how to tackle. He can't go out there and tackle for you. There are so many missed mm-hmm. tackles in this game. That's a problem. Like with Charbonnet, like what he did, like 100 plus yards, like, Secondary did fine, but it's part also it's like the San Jose State a couple years ago. Well, who cares? They're not throwing against you because they can just run and don't need to throw the ball. Exactly. And yeah, he was ten, 10 of twenty. Like DTR was fine. He wasn't. He was okay. He didn't run a ton like he could, but they didn't need him to obviously because he handed the ball off. But it's almost six yards of carry on the ground. They only had one pass that was long. That fort that went to the long one to Allen because Mir Allen. But they, it's it was, a, it was a mess. So many turnovers. So many miscues on special teams. Cordier running for his life. But you're right, like, Day-Day Hunter, seven carries. Also, why the heck wasn't Calvin Turner getting the ball to run ever? He had zero carries. That's a good question. Like, he he may not be, like, up-to-tackle guy, but get in some, like, those long tosses or, like, some sort of delay type of handoff because he was clearly their best player out there. Just Hunter, about on Hunter, offense. Turner, and Dedrick Parson, you know, the, the, the running back transfer from Howard, they combined for what twenty five targets from Cordero. I would, imagine, I would imagine that that's probably not what Hawaii had in mind, and I don't think that's going to be a winning game plan going forward either. Like yeah. they need their receivers to step up because they got you know other than like one or two exceptions when the game was you know, already well out of reach, you know, really overmatched. And I mean they're going to they're going to get a chance to correct it against Portland State this coming weekend. But, you know, that's definitely one of those things where it's like it sort of makes their their chances of being a serious contender look a little more dubious all of a sudden. Yeah, this is completely wrong. I felt – I did the concerns they did have was running the ball, but I felt Kevin Turner would get more carries. And with him and D.D. Hunter, Hunter doing something, Dedrick Parson, like a handful of carries, like maybe have Hunter be the main guy. Hunter gets – not Hunter, but like Turner gets – I expect Turner, like, he should be getting at least ten to minimum ten to fifteen touches a game. I don't know why, because we mentioned depth chart. He's listed as running back and wide receiver. He was never in position to get the ball to hand hand off, and so five catches for fifty is probably what he should be getting. But he also should be getting at least like eight carries, and I mean eight to ten carries mm-hmm. as well to give him that many touches for what he can do. He never got a chance. I don't they even get a return. Well, there's like. Did it wasn't like no kick return, punt return, nothing for that. It's like I don't know what the game plan is, but I know it's a new thing. All the new offensive coaches, but your best player didn't do anything. Did what he could with the five catches, but Cordero still. I know it's product of him being chased around, but still led the team in the number of rush attempts at nine. Like the running game was just the big concern we had. Like we feel oh, like all oh, I figure out the combination of these three different guys transfers. Turner picking it up as he did the second half of last year in the three to five second half whatever the second half was four games or something three games. Cordero threw okay, but he threw fifty times almost forty seven times. A couple picks, bad picks too. His, ah, man, Oregon State's getting a better team. Like they're so they beat Oregon last year, so mm-hmm. they're a team that's on the rise a little bit. They may not be amazing. The, like in the Pac twelve North, they're probably still be in Oregon and Washington. Um, they're probably close with Cal, I'm guessing, in that range, but they're not the pushover. And so next week, like, we'll talk more when they play how, or not how Portland State in a couple of days, but they really need to fix their offensive line to find somebody who can run the ball. Definitely. And a downfield threat, too, I guess. It would be helpful. And learn how to tackle because 
this ping pong balls, these like guys running and catching the ball. Oh man, it was a mess. No, no pressure. <sighs> no pressure. Just fix your whole scheme in six days, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Then we had Southern Utah 14, San Jose State 45 points. Nick Starkle. Was Nick Starkle officially the player of the week, I believe? Uh, yes, he was. Should have, should have been. I forgot to look by just, I'm looking at a stat line here. 394 yards, four touchdowns, and a cruise to victory over the Southern Utah Thunderbirds. And what was interesting is like he spread the ball around too. Like, you know, he was only 17 of 28. But if you look at like who was actually targeted, like nobody on the team had more than four targets. But I think, I think what, one, two, three, four, eight different guys had at least two targets. Yeah. Which is and really, too. yeah, and so Seven. it was really interesting Seven, to yeah. see kind of a, a, a diversification of the offense. Where I think you know one of their pressing questions was, well, how exactly are they going to replace Trey Walker and Bailey Gaither? And the answer is, well, we're going to throw a little bit of everything. Um, Six other people. <laughs> well, because you know we got you know the young kind of wide receiver talents. You know Isaiah Hamilton two catches fifty seven yards. You know including one that was a forty seven yard game. Jermaine Braddock, two catches, 66 yards, including the, the, like, I think the, his, the, the defender's ankles are still on the field. Yeah, there some, somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Charles Ross, who was a, you know, recent transfer, you know, three catches, 77 yards. Derek Deese, Sam Olson, a pair of tight ends had big play yeah. catches. And Down I think that's, that, passes, that, I like, think is what you can expect from San Jose State is like, you know, they they don't have one guy who can beat you. They've got multiple guys who could beat you. It's going to be key because we weren't sure. We you kind of said and more more confident than me. Like, well, besides DC Hamilton, who else is there? We'll see. But I also like like what I like in this game is too is I know it's Southern Utah, so it's like the UConn game a little bit with Fresno. It's like okay, we see what's going on here, but really, what's going on? Tyler Nevins picked up already last year over seven yards per carry. He basically had a fifth of his carries from last year in this one game with 12. Because mm-hmm. what did he have, 60, 60 carries last year? And he averaged like 7.7. 7. He had Something like 7. that, yeah. 7.6, 91 yards, a touchdown. Like, it gets to the new top. But again, when there's questions and they answer those questions, even if it gets a bad team, that's a good start. Like, the defense played well, but the offense, like Nevins, Corey Robinson, even had a couple catches. He's, he's a running back who had him and Nevins in the backfield. So they get the ball to a couple of receivers. They pass it to everybody, not just wideouts, like tight ends, running backs as well. And so if that, like I said, that continues, but running the ball was extremely well what we wanted to see. Like Nick yeah, Circle I mean, was just un- I guess unstoppable. It, it does, so, I mean, the running game, I guess it sort of depends on your perspective because on the one hand, you know, Nevins did have four plays that went for more than 10 yards. He had, he had that, yeah. the 27 yard play, which was the long one. He had the 12 yard touchdown run and then he had other ones of 17 and 18 yards. Yeah. But then outside of that, like that accounts for like 70, like about 74 out of his 82 total yards. So it was But very, it still counts. Come on. I'm, I'm just counts. saying it was very boomer bust. And I wonder like yeah. if they go and review, you know, and, you know, the way things unfolded, whether, whether that's okay or not, or whether, you know, maybe Nevins missed a hole or something like that or was tripped up or something. Just whether a little more efficiency in the mix would be better for them in the long run. I guess that's what I'm saying. I get it. It's not like he had like an 80 yard run on in the 11 yards on 11 carries. It was not quite that extreme, but no, I get your point. A couple big runs and then 20 yards here, 10 yards here, two yards, two yards, two yards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like they, they did fine. Like there's not much to, like Southern Utah, their quarterback did 
nothing special. Like he completed a lot of passes, but nothing downfield. That's like the only, that's like a minor nitpicking thing where they allowed over like 17 to th- whatever the starter, 15 to 29, still good under it's barely 50%, but mm-hmm. it completes like a million different guys. If you're looking at something there, that's a touch here and there, but that like, there was no challenge. Even with Southern Utah had that run in the second quarter going 14 points, it was still 38 14 at halftime. It's not like it was even relatively close at all. And then yeah. the defense for Fresno State, San Jose, like after quarterback, like you didn't see the main guys get all the tackles and all the typical stats, but it's like whatever. You get, get all these guys playing time. That's your big concern, right? To get out there and play and give them experience early on. So when they do play next week, USC, or when they play Nevada or all these teams, Fresno State, defense can be ready to go. Well, I think what I was encouraged by is like, you know, a lot of their disruptive ability last year was rooted in, in Kate Hall and Villami Pahoko. So like you said, you know, those two guys were relatively quiet on the statute. Like, I don't think Kate Hall is actually credited with a tackle. Kate Hall has no stats. No stats. But you look at actually like, but you look at like who actually got into the backfield. You see guys like, you know, like Lando Gray, who was a, a role player on the interior last year, had a TFL. Um, you know, Jay Leonard came in from the secondary end of the TFL. Uh, you know, Noah Wright, uh, Kyle Harmon, you know, nine, nine total mm-hmm. tackles and a tackle for loss. Good so I have. think, you know, that is an encouraging thing too, that San Jose State can, can disrupt more as a unit than having to, re- to lean on more two guys, especially since, since we talked about the present state a little bit ago, you know, there's going to be a huge difference between Southern Utah and then dealing with USC's air raid. They're going to need every little bit of help they can get from from that front exactly. seven. Totally. Was there anything else this game that concerns you, or you need to boast about, or let people know? No, nah, I think I think we're good. Six to six extra points kicking for Matt McCurio. Good for That's him. That's true. Made his one field goal. All right, so we get now, here's what we're doing now. We did our quick recap because. Only a couple games, and now that we have Thursday games, and we're delayed because my travels, we're doing this Monday, probably Tuesday when you hear this. We're going to get into the Thursday and Friday games this week because we got 12 non-conference games, which means if we talk about per game like we normally do, this will be like a three-hour show, and we're not in for any of that three-hour show business. No. <laughs> it's already late as it is as we're recording this now, as we typically do in the evenings. So let's do... Let's should we let's save the Boise UCF game for later, okay? We'll do that at the very end. Is that fine? Sure. Oh, you're not. <laughs> why? Why? Because no, I'll, I'll allow it. Because we can blast through these other games like Houston Baptist in New Mexico, and then we can get spend quality time on the. <laughs> I need approval. Yes, approval. All right, so let's start with it. Houston Baptist at New Mexico. Did you see the Lobos did unretiring a couple guys' jerseys today? I thought that was kind of interesting. Do you, if you're Brian Erlacher, would you be upset? Or how would you feel about that if your jersey got unretired? I, I thought they had said in their, their tweet announcement that Erlacher and that, I forget the other guy's name. He escapes me. I apologize to the Lobos fans out there. Uh, but I remember them saying like they were both really excited for what that unretirement was meant to symbolize. Because I know for the one, it was sort of like you know the player who's exemplary of like being from you know Albuquerque. I think it was. Yeah. Or was it New Mexico? Um, it's one of the two. Yeah, and then, you know, for the Urlacher on retirement was just, like, meant to be the embodiment of, like, what Urlacher meant to the Lobo defense historically. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty cool move. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is nice because it's going to – on because this is what Danny Gonzalez does. He knows what's in the air. He played there, coached there, all that type of stuff from there. He wants to get these local guys involved because there's it's there's not always a ton of talent within the state, but I think like those best guys to come to stay there and not go to some other school because, honestly, if you're like the best player from Mexico, you're probably not – your odds are you going to like a big, t- big, big-time school is not the case, and mm-hmm. Lobo should be able to hang around anybody who wants to leave. And yeah. so it's, it's a fun gesture. Like, hey, I can be – well, I can be Brian Erlacher's number. I can be this guy's number. I sorry I keep seeing this guy. I'm trying to look for it is really quick. I apologize, but it's a fun gesture. It's like some schools. What is it? Michigan with like their number number one for wide receiver, like Bra- Braylon Edwards. Mm-hmm. Um, who's who's it back in the day? Um, that was doesn't no, he's doesn't Howard plays defense. Whoever, but like they have a certain number for like you're the guy for doing this. So that's always a, that's always a cool thing to see. But Dion Hunter and Rico Hanna, by the way. Okay, there we go. Thank you. But they play Houston Baptist. They get them at home. It's There's no line in this game. Some of these games have a line. Like some of the FCS games popped up last minute like that. Southern Utah, San Jose State game had a line like Friday night mm-hmm. <laughs> before the game was out there. But this game, it's afternoon – or excuse me, evening, apologies. 6 p.m. local. Is it on – I don't have my schedule in front of me. I apologize. Is it on Stadium? Is that what it is this weekend? Uh, no, this one is actually on the Mountain West Network. So oh, there should yeah, be games we... on the website. Yeah, so when we uh, when we write up our, our game preview, we'll be sure to include a link. Um, you know, we'll make sure that you're hooked up. If you or you can alternatively yeah. probably we'll probably shoot it out there on Thursday when it comes around on our Twitter at MWC Wire. I just for some reason I thought Stadium. I didn't realize the Mountain West Network was still a thing. So watch it there. So what I want to see this game is Terry Wilson because apparently other media members think he's a top five quarterback. Matt, if you voted, you probably would put him as a top five quarterback. Me, he'll be a top five quarterback because he's playing Houston Baptist. And it's kind of a theme we've been going at, whereas you're playing a bad team, show up and play well against a bad team, then have fewer concerns when you play a good team. And I want to see if he's healthy, see what he can do with the talent this Lobos team has. And if he's close to what he was a couple years ago with Kentucky being the top 15 team, beating the what, Florida the first time in forever – Almost mm-hmm. beat Tennessee. If he can do be close to that guy, it's going to be a blowout, not even close, and there'll be some promise for the Lobos team. I'm just uh, not. That I'm waiting to see that they'll win. I'm waiting to see how good they could be with him. When see, they play something decent. What I want to see out of this game for the Lobos is, you know, and, and I, I think we kind of glossed over the Huskies the first time we talked about them on the New Mexico podcast. So I was able to do a little more digging, and, like, this team is all gas and no brakes. <laughs> like, did you actually – so so I should put this out there because I think it involves a little bit of context. Like, did you realize that that Houston Baptist did not play in the spring? Yeah, I did know that, yes. They didn't play. It's because, yeah. it's because they played last fall. Yeah, they they played – yeah, they who do they play? They played they played play, four they played four road games against FBS teams. That's what it was. I knew I remember they played some big time teams. I wasn't remember how sure how many. 
Okay, so so I'm going to run this down real quick. So they played at North Texas, at Texas Tech, at Louisiana Tech, and at Eastern Kentucky. So I guess, you know, three, three FBS defenses. Um, they were number two in terms of total offense, 547 yards per game. Num- number, hey, one te- in, number one in passing. Come on, man. They played Texas Tech. That's why. <laughs> their, their quarterback averaged 459 yards per game. Yeah. Um, they were all, they also gave up 47 points per game. Um, and they, <laughs> they allowed a, they allowed a, a, you know, they, they converted over 50% of their third downs, but also gave up over 50% of their third downs on defense. All gas. No, <laughs> this breaks. is going to be first to 60. <laughs> no, no, okay. So, so, so anyway, to get back to what I want to see, what I want to see is I want to see what kind of improvement New Mexico's secondary has made. You know, with a, with a year to get familiar and be able to practice every day against a kind of an improved quarterback situation. So I'm yeah. looking, you know, across the board, you know, they, we already knew that they were going to have, you know, pretty much every starting contributor coming back. You know, Corey Hightower and Dante Martin at cornerback, Tavian Combs at the low book position, who, you know, Danny Gonzalez has spoke very highly of this in practice recently. Uh, you know, yeah. Patrick Peak, Jarek Reed the second, because this is a team that is going to throw and throw. And, and keep throwing, even as they likely fall behind. And they're going to do it with a new quarterback. You know, we, we didn't mention that, I don't think, that, you know, Bailey Zapp, who was a, a record setter. No, we did not practice, mention Bailey Zapp. He, he transferred to Western Kentucky. So, you know, now I believe it's a, a Blake ben, Blaze Benson, which is a very Texas name now that I think about it. Oh. Totally a Texas name, yes. You know, he's he's taking over. He's a big physical guy. He's 6'5", 225 pounds. Um, yeah, yeah, he's gonna he's <laughs> gonna get a chance to throw the ball around, and they're they're just gonna keep doing that. And so New Mexico's gonna have to show at least a little bit that they can defend against the pass, whether that's creating turnovers, just knocking down passes, and just kind of you know doing what they need to do to kind of keep Houston Baptist at arm's length. And I think, you know, if they can do that, then they can feel a lot better about, you know, because if you, if you could survive that kind of pass-heavy attack, then, you know, you can survive pretty much anything else that anybody else in the conference is going to throw at you later in the season. Totally. It's, they should win, but that's, they're right, if they're going to throw 40-plus times in that secondary, if it has any cracks, it'll be shown. And I could probably see a couple of those passes getting downfield. But that besides that... Well, I can't say besides that. New quarterback, so we, we know what they want to do, but how good is this new guy going to be? That's also a consideration. But if you're Lobos, you can't take anything for granted. Even though they've won two games in a row, going back to last year, beating Fresno State, and who they beat before? Um, Wyoming, right? Yes, they did. Okay, I'm trying to remember who it was, that low-scoring game. So that is something I want to say. Like a three-game winning streak, possibly. But it's like I said, mentioned like these other games, like play well against bad teams and don't leave us any concerns or too many questions. Uh, one thing, too, I'd like to know about New Mexico, like their depth is finally coming around. Mm-hmm. And Because remember when we talked a couple years ago, or at least last year, probably year plus, Bob Davey was just going through JUCO route. So with them having the extra super senior guys on the team, who six-year guys, or even mm-hmm. JUCO guys that have the extra year, it's going to help this team overall. I, I know everybody's team's coming back. Production's high across the board except for a handful of teams. But for a team that struggled so bad for the past couple of years and not playing all that well, losing games, losing records, obviously new coach, 
came in just because Davey couldn't get it done after falling off of the offense. It's going to be a big deal that they'll have depth everywhere. They may not win many, that many more games, but it could help them long term with getting, yeah, who cares if you're a six year guy you're playing? It could give everybody else some confidence that they're closer and maybe win some games. So that's something to look at as well, especially the offensive line. They're still trying to figure out a couple of positions like the right tackle. They're not sure what it's going to be. It's not because they're all not very good. It's because they're not sure because they have a couple of good guys. Yeah. So they have depth in certain areas, which will be good. And this will also be kind of like an extended tryout or extended extension fall camp. Like, okay, you're the solidified at position A, B, or C. And, and, and to that point, you know, you said that they're deeper. And one another thing that I'm really interested in following in this game is the, the, the number of young guys who look like they'll at least be a part of a rotation, if not necessarily having locked down a starting spot. So, like, for example, Keontae Lanier looks like he's going to start opposite of Emmanuel Logan Green and, and Andrew Erickson as a wide receiver. You know, he won that starting job. I'm very interested to see kind of what he does with it. Um, you know, and Luke Weissong, another richer, or excuse me, another true freshman receiver, is listed as a backup. Or, you know, running back Aaron Dumas, who is a record setter in El Paso. You know, how much run is he going to get as as what looks like Bobby Cole's primary backup? You know, Bryce Santana along the defensive line. Um, you know, A.J. Odom's at corner. Um, you know, how much playing time are we going to see out of those guys? And what are they going to do, especially against a team as, as unique as Houston Baptist? Because, you know, they're we know what they do well. We know what they don't. And so how are those players going to perform given what we know about the Huskies? You're right. Well, if, if you're playing this team, you better be playing well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's my biggest concern is that an area falls flat in their face against a team that's an FCS team and New Mexico should win. So that's a concern. That's my concern I have about those areas. But like you're right. Like Bobby Cole, he's a good running back. Get his and see who's behind him. Your solidified starters. Let them play, get out to a decent lead, and then bring other guys into round up to figure out your second and third, or maybe even a couple positions that are still up in the air. That's mm-hmm. what I really want to see happen. Like I like this your secondary angle. If they throw a bunch, which it will, I want to see what Terry Wilson can do with the new offense. Everything like we know, what Bobby Cole is pretty good, but I want to see like who's going to be a receiver, like who's going to catch the ball as well. That's something I want to look at as well of the guys because they need people to catch the ball for this team if it's going to be well and what Terry Wilson can do. Who cares how good your quarterback is, but if you guys can't catch the ball or you have no consistent wide receiving depth or starters or any any consistent receiving at all, it doesn't <clears> matter. And that's what I want to see. So they should, like, I guess we got to do predictions too because we're not just talking about the teams in general. What's your prediction for this game? So I think New Mexico is going to win pretty comfortably just because I don't see Houston being able to Houston Baptist, excuse me, being able to stop them consistently if ever. Um, so I would expect the Lobos to pop, to pile up a lot of points and probably give up their fair share too. I'm going to say they win something like 48 to 31. Well, I thought the points given up. I'm going to go a touch slower. I think, I think maybe 35, 20. Okay. New Mexico. Well, the just the points have a slight concern when we talk about the next week. All right, let's go to the next game here. Eastern Washington at UNLV. This game is on stadium. I looked. It is. <laughs> it's at Allegiant Stadium, 7 Pacific, 8 o'clock for me, 10 o'clock East Coast. Central folks, who cares, but it's 9 o'clock anyways. Um, Eastern Washington, they're a top – 15 team in the FCS, obviously. They're not playing on their blood field. But this is a no-joke FCS team. Like this, Is this the best FCS team on the Mountain West schedule? The highest rated one, Ooh, I believe? Um, 
I think South Dakota State, who we're going to talk about in a few minutes, is I think they're ranked a little bit higher. Okay, because Eastern Washington's 11 and 14th in the Bulls. But yeah, so but like you, a, like you said, EWU, e, 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 no joke. Yeah, they. Do you want to know how many starters they return? Would you like 22. Yes, <laughs> 22. You might start to see the guy about 22 total starters, which everybody hasn't coming back. But when you're in the Big Sky, they've been to 15 playoff appearances, 11 Big Sky conference titles. Um, they won, well, it's a decade ago and they won a national title, but they're a team that will want to move the ball, play offense against, they're not going to be scared of this Rebels team. And no. if we're looking at, if we're looking at any upset potential, FCS, FBS, I believe this is one of Hero Sports, one of the, they had a couple of potential upsets. This is up there. This is, because, this is one of multiple publications potential upsets. Yeah. Because it's freaking UNLV who was, sorry, not good last year. Their quarterback is a complete mess. They do have Charles Williams, which is their leading grace. They have a couple of young guys like Jacoby Wade in defense, but can they just Matt? Can they just give Charles Williams eighty carries and hopefully he does it all himself? Is that a possibility? I mean, I think they're definitely going to use him to kind of try and set the tone because you know one of the things I noticed when I was looking back at last year versus previous years is that he wasn't quite as effective on first downs in particular. You know, between 2018 and 2019, you're talking about a guy who averaged over six yards carry, 6.17. And in last year, with all the kind of the COVID mess going on, that figure dropped by nearly two full yards. And so I don't think you necessarily want to expect like a full rebound to the pre-pandemic kind of production. But I think given the fact that the offensive line is, you know, more or less you know, set from where, you know, from the, the players they had on there last year. I think, you know, Davion McDaniel's the only guy who's new to the unit. You know, Felt, Feltano at center is back. Julio Garcia is back at right guard. Tiger Shanks is moving from left tackle to right tackle. Clayton Bradley's back at left. I think they're going to try to get a more of a push up front, a consistent push up front, because that was how North Dakota State beat this Eastern Washington team in the playoffs last year. And I think I would imagine that is what Marcus Aurora wants to try to get back to. For whatever reason, they weren't necessarily as effective doing it in, in, you know, during the pandemic as I expect they probably will be this year. And mm-hmm. if they're sort of counting upon it, I think they need Williams to have a big game if they're going to hold off the Eagles. Do you know Charles Williams is one of the few players who's been around for the infamous Howard loss? Oh, yeah. So he, there's probably others, but I just, I'm over to Las Vegas Sun checking a couple of things. And of course, I've reached my limit of articles to read, so I have to remember what I just saw. But basically, it's like, hey, don't take any team lightly because we lost to stupid Howard a couple of years ago, where who knows what changed if Tony Sanchez would still be there. They would have gone to a bowl game that year, not have the worst point spread loss ever in college football history, past surpassing Jim Harbaugh, upsetting, was it Pete Carroll, USC Stanford? I think Carroll was mm-hmm. the head coach there at the time. But he's like, do not let that, that be the case, which is good. He wants to be angry and mad. However, alternate headline, no answer in quarterback as fall camp ends for UNLV football. How <sighs> much does that concern you? Is Tate Martell going to show up and play? No. <laughs> That's a lot of concern because we saw during camp, like, guys like Steve Cofield from, was it, ESPN Las Vegas? I was like, oh, it's, no, it's, it's, oh, what's, oh, crap. No, I'm blinking. Justin Rogers, the guy, like, who's the other guy? Shoot, I'm just like, um, yeah, Brumfield, sir. I don't know why that name just went poof outside my head. He's like, it's Brumfield. It's going to be Brumfield. He's more athletic. He's better. 
but he can't beat out Tristan Rogers, who I thought could be the guy. But maybe, hey Matt, maybe I'll eventually be right on picking the quarterback, and it'll really be Rogers, the TC transfer, who played so, what like two games so last year. You, so, do you think that we are going to see one quarterback, or are we going to see a quarterback rotation? <sighs> It's going to be a rotation. It has to be. Because... I don't think they can afford that, man. Hold on. Wait, wait. Okay, I, I went to my pocket feed because I could save articles on there and read the whole thing despite being past my limit. So, when, here, I'll read this. Okay, the first paragraph. When UNLV opened training camp three weeks ago, Doug Bromfeld and Justin Rogers were engaged in a competition for the starting quarterback job. Now, as a team readies to close out camp and enter game week preparation... For the season over, Brunfield and Rogers are still battling for the job. The next sentence. Oh, and a wild card has been added to the mix in the form of Tate Martell. <laughs> oh, no. Come on, man. How, wait, when is this written? August 26th. Oh, no. Really? About four days ago. Oh, man. They were recording August 30th. Yeah. Coach Arroyo, this hasn't, that hasn't presented itself. When asked now, to, now, who a now see, I, I can, I think, I'm hope, I hope <laughs> that I this just shows so sort of a, a bit of gamesmanship. Like, you know, we talked about it a little bit with UConn in last week's preview for week zero, how, you know, they had, you know, Zergiotis and the backup Stephen Krajewski listed with an or, but it was, but then when push came to shove and UConn was actually on the field, then Zergiotis basically played the entirety of the first three quarters until he got benched kind of late in the game during garbage time. So I hope that this is that kind of gamesmanship as opposed to indecision that's going to play itself out on the field because I think you you, you just got to pick a guy, or at least I hope that you have, and you're just playing it close to the best. Because they have not let any of the quarterbacks speak to the media during, during fall camp, which is typically the case when teams have a competition. Yeah. However, it's not a good sign when um, – you need to hold it close to the vest when you're playing an FCS team either. Like, that's not a good look where we've got to keep it close so we know, so they don't have any yeah. catches. And you're playing, it's, yes, Eastern Washington very good. But when you have to do that to not give up any trade secrets against a team in a lower division with, what, 22 fewer scholarship players you, you could have on a roster, 63 to 85, whatever it is. Yeah. And like, and, and neither of those guys might not, they might not even be the best quarterback on the field. Exactly. Because the Eagles, we, we talked about it, we talked about it a little bit in the, in the preview podcast. Eric Barrier was the Walter Payton runner up last year. And he wasn't that far away from winning it. And, you know, with him on the offensive side of the ball, they've got one of the best offensive tackles anywhere on the FCS level. And Tristan Taylor, he's like a three or four year starter. You know, they've got one of the best wide receivers in Talolo Limu Jones. You know, they've got an all American kicker in Seth Harrison. So this is a team that, you know, like we just talked about a minute ago with Houston Baptist, can do some damage through the air. And if 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 UNLV hasn't rectified what really went wrong last year, which was you know when they weren't getting pressure from from Adam Plant and Jacoby Winman, they really weren't getting pressure at all. And and they were picked apart, I think, especially by uh, you know uh, Nick Starkle and uh, and Carson Strong last year. Eric Barrier could ease very easily do the same thing if they can't create pressure. And so I think one of the things that I'm really looking forward to in this game is, you know, now that we know Plant and Women are starting more at linebacker than, on, than along the defensive line, what are the new defensive ends going to do? 
because they've got a pair of, of the incoming transfers that they brought in this offseason, Connor Murphy and Kylan Wilborn, you know, listed as part of like a trio who I'd imagine are going to be very significant parts of that rotation. The third guy, LaShawn Bell, was a very highly touted freshman a couple of years ago, and I think it was in the Rose initial recruiting class. Those three guys are going to have a really important role to play because women in plant may not always be in a position to create the pressure themselves. You're not wrong, and I need to go back to the quarterback situation because as you're going, I found new update information that's going to make you laugh. Okay. Not not in a good way. So oh, no. you, you you asked about is it going to be the odds of playing more than one guy? 100%. No! Because also, Coach Arroyo, he needs to have a – he needs to have like a, if you seen the show Veep, I assume mm-hmm. most people have, right? She, Coach Roy needs a, needs a, a Gary, essentially, <laughs> to whisper in the ear, say this, this is, this is ambassador so and so, this is who and who. He needs somebody to whisper the proper thing to say. So, and this is Monday, so a few days later than the last one, which is why you probably should read the Las Vegas Review Journal instead of The Sun, because I made that mistake. <laughs> he goes, if I told you the quarter, quarterback would be, I'd screw it up. First of all, so, oh boy, not good. Um, basically switch them back and forth. It's not going to be Tate Martell because the depth chart, which we should have mentioned before, lists Rodgers and Brumfield as the co-starters, essentially, or it does. Yes. Both are prepared to play to start. And here we go. Royal said both are prepared to play Thursday. Um, this is last week, but this is also Monday, too. They can rotate during the game, but the hope internally is that one of the two can find a rhythm and seize the reins. Quote, if one guy gets hot, a high end, that's ideal. There's no real rotation set. We're going to play it by ear. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Oh, All right. Hold on. Wait, wait. There's more. Hold on. Oh, no. Okay. There is more. Here's what, not Coach Royal, but here's what Justin Rogers said about the quarterback competition. It was kind of awkward at first because there's a lot of new guys. Oh, boy. <laughs> this is going to be a complete disaster. You would have be better hope they win this game, man. I, oh my gosh, this, <laughs> like this, I was reading this, hoping you talk more and more so I can read more of it. I finally got through it all, but this, oh my goodness, like they should win, but if they're just gonna, I, if you're gonna make it a true battle, like if you're not sure, that's fine. They could literally and truly not know who the guy is. Or it's close enough that they want to, okay, you're going to play here or there. Don't play it by air because if you're going to go in and do every other series, every four plays or something, that's going to screw everybody up. Give them like, hey, you're getting the first and third quarter and that's what you get. Knowing, because playing it by ear means, oh, if I get an interception or a bad pass, I'm getting yanked out of the game possibly. Mm-hmm. They should go in and say, hey, you're, you get to start. It doesn't, mean anything, whatever, because you're both getting four quarters. This guy gets to end the game, you get to start the game. So you can get us out to a big lead or he can lead us to a comeback. You both get a chance to have good, good enough playing time, good opportunities. That's what you should do if you're not sure. Don't play it by ear. And if a guy plays well, let him ride it, which I get. I get in theory how that would make sense. Always playing well, just keep him out there. But if you're not sure, give the other guy a chance because what if the other guy does the exact same thing and you're promised him playing time and he doesn't get playing time because you're basically winging it out there. I don't like it, man. Me, me, this is, I am not a fan of this now. Can I speak Eastern Washington to win now? <laughs> You're more than welcome to. I know I can pick whoever I want. So I'm, I'm going to take you and I'll be. 
trepidation is not good when the when I read about the quarterback situation. They should win. Here's the thing: they have the best player in the field in Charles Williams. They have a couple good defenders who are good. They have some young receivers. Again, again, I might debate that point, but I, I I see where you're coming from. You don't think Charles Williams is the best player? I think Eric Barrier could be the best player on the field. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. Okay. Whatever. He's really, really good, Charles Williams. That's my point. Yes. He's a guy who, if they play it properly, I, I, I have kidding 80 carries. He should be getting, like, he's he's getting gotten 20-plus carries before, 25-plus carries. He's a big bruising back. Give him enough carries as you need and then make it easy on the quarterbacks, whoever's going to play, Brumfield or Rodgers. But I'm ultimately, I am going to take UNLV, but it's going to be probably closer than people want to admit. Yeah, it will like, be. I'm going to go like 28-21 for UNLV. I think it'll be a little more high scoring than that. I have UNLV winning 35-31. to 31. They can't get to 31 points, man. They're going to have to. <laughs> They're going to have to. That's their dying words. They're going to have to get to 31 points. Oh, my gosh. This... What get to the stadium app and watch this game on Thursday, people. I don't care. Even though Boise UCF is going on approximately the well no, it's almost it's basically after that game, so you'll be good. This right, is why we, this is why everybody should have multiple devices. Exactly. Laptops, tablets, phones, couple TVs, monitors, whatever you want. But okay, let's skip to Friday. We'll get to Boise UCF at the end. South Dakota State goes to Colorado State, FS one, uh seven PM local kickoff. If you want to go to this game, Matt, it's only $26, if you're wondering. It's not too bad. It's not bad. Not bad. Most expensive game of the weekend, even more so than Boise UCF. Just Interesting. Saying, it's gonna, Boise UCF, real quick, $16 get-in price. $16 to – is it still called Bright House or Brown's House? I, I, I have no idea what it's called now. Whatever. I, I was looking up here. Okay. But Brown's House or whatever. Something, something stupid, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's just a weird name. All right, so they play South Dakota State, CSU. And apparently, we've been saying Todd Centennial's name wrong, the quarterback. Well, it's Todd Centeno, right? I thought it was Centeno, like the, a penny, a cent. Mm-hmm. I've been saying Todd Centeno, not Centeno. I think you've been throwing some extra syllables in there, if we're being honest. I might, okay, I might have. Because <laughs> it is E-I-O at the end, right? Uh, Yes. So that can... Dude, we, we see all these Polynesian names where we have to announce every vowel in there to get a proper. So forgive me for doing a name that's not a Hawaiian or Pacific Islander or a Polynesian name where I don't I, I say I will forgive you. We have lots of names. Remember last week I had to take a deep breath to pronounce the guy from, I don't even know who it was last week. Remember that? Like, hold on, deep breath? The guy from UConn, I think it was. Oh, no, you remember the guy from Southern Utah. Oh, Southern Utah, that's right. Yes, which makes sense. There's, there's a decent population of Pacific Islanders here in the state of Utah. So, yeah. But I apologize for getting that extra syllable in there. It's like us saying Romeo Dobbs is Romeo Dobbs. We both were guilty of that last year. So, mm-hmm. that's uh, we get stuff wrong. It's okay. But this game, you said South Dakota State's ranked one of the top ten in the FCS? Uh, you know what? I don't have that in front of me because everything, everything I have open, has, none of it mentions their rank. Okay, fine. So what, what's about this team? Like, what's Why do you think this is a bigger upset potential than Eastern Washington over UNLV? Okay, so first of all, you're still talking about a team that was the FCS national title runner-up. And, yeah. and they were 16 <laughs> seconds away from winning that title last year. Okay. And I know that I know that the, the spring seems a million years away at this point. But 
you know, they're still bringing back a, you know, a huge amount of all American type talent. Like we just talked about it with Eastern Washington. And that is especially true of the Jackrabbits. You know, they've got one of the best linebackers in Logan Backhouse. You know, he had 72 total tackles. He had a pair of sacks and nine and a half tackles for loss in the spring. Um, you know, they've got their running back duo, Pierre Strong and Isaiah Davis. You know, they, this is a team that will not hesitate to run the ball, which, you know, that maybe that makes them a, a, a team mm-hmm. after Steve Adazio's own heart. Exactly. <laughs> one, one big difference though. From the last time we talked about the Jackrabbits to now, though, new starting quarterback—that's a big deal—and and and that's because the guys who started over the last two seasons, Mark Gronowski, who was the you know the Missouri Valley Conference Offensive Player of the Year, he was the Freshman Player of the Year, not going to play this year. He has a he has a knee injury, and and the guy he replaced, Jabor Gibbs, also out for the year with a knee injury. So. The, you know, the, the quarterback situation came down to, you know, Keaton Hyde, who, you know, who took over for Grunowski in the championship game when, when he was hurt early. And a guy who was a graduate transfer, Chris Ladokun, played a little bit at, uh, Samford, played at South Florida before that. You know, he was, a he had a pretty decent season in 2019. You know, he started eight games, had 18 touchdowns, you know, threw for over 2,000 yards, ran for about 500 more. So he's a guy who fits what the Jacks want to do pretty well, you know, in that he could run and throw a little bit. Um, you know, they've got all the other playmakers coming back around him. So this is not a team that Colorado State's going to be able to take lightly. And I think that, you know, obviously the Rams have, have made strides, especially on defense, and that's going to bode well for them in this game. I think they're going to need every bit of, of defense they can get, especially from that front seven, to contain Strong and Davis in particular, because I think if they could do that, you know, then they can pin their ears back on, on Oladokun and just say, okay, well, we're going to dare you to, th- to, to beat us down the field. And even if the Jackrabbits have, you know, some of their leading receivers coming back, I don't, I don't, I don't know that they're going to be able to, you know, out hustle or outwork a defensive front that could get in the backfield early and often. Side note, I did find their ranking. Would you like to take a guess of where South Dakota State is ranked in the preseason? Are they, like, uh, are they like fourth or fifth or something like that? They're third, receiving four first-place votes. Yeah. They're ahead of North Dakota State behind James Madison and Sam Houston State, who was the defending champions last year, the Bearcats. Yeah, they're going to have the work cut out for them. So what do we think about – you mentioned what they have. Like, What about the like, Colorado State? Let's kind of get to them a bit more. Um. We mentioned the quarterback, Centeo. Is that how you pronounce the name? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, Todd Centeo. What, like, they, I didn't like, like, I, we, so let me back up here because I'm fumbling because I don't, I just don't like him. And now that their backup quarterback is injured, the guy we kind of, not the guy we poked fun of, we poked for the Colorado and for stre- stretching and searching for a story about a backup quarterback who came to win the starting job because every quarterback who comes to town wants to win the starting job. So we don't blame the guy for doing that. But their depth of quarterback is a concern, and like honestly, Centeno wasn't that good because they they have weapons offense like Dante Wright. They have all these guys like tight end receivers, guys on this team that McBride who can do things. But I still have a question. I think you do as well. It's like, are, is Steve Coach Adazio really going to know what to do with these guys? Like to get them properly the ball because we we joke around Adazio wants to run it, but that's that's really what he wants to do. He wants to 
run the ball, but he doesn't really want to run it to set up to get his, his playmakers actual ball. He did when they played. Like when those guys played, don't get me wrong, they, they try to get them the ball more. But it seems like maybe I'm just not convinced because they won one game last year. Well, and the, and the other thing is too is like, you know, we talked, we just talked about a lot about the Jackrabbits offense, but they've got a lot of major contributors coming back on defense too. Backhouse, of course, is the biggest name, but you're still talking about a team that gave up what, like 110 rushing yards per game last year. And like, if we, if we think we know what the Rams want to do, if they want to lean on the run, they're going to have to prove they could be a little better at it than they were in the, in the small sample that we saw last year. Um, I mean, we don't exactly know what the committee shakes out to be at this point. Like as we're recording, when they still haven't released their two deep, which I would imagine is probably going to come out a little bit later in the week. Of course. But, you know, are they going to go back to the, to last year's tandem of, of, of Marcus McElroy and Ajon Bivens? You know, how much work is David Bailey going to get? Are they going to try and split carries evenly? Are they going to try and find one guy to give like 17 to 20 carries? And if that doesn't work out, then is Centeo going to lean on McBride and, and Dante Wright as often as he did last year? Or are they going to be able to identify secondary weapons that they can rely upon? Like, is this the year that EJ Scott finally steps up? Or is Jordan Crest, you know, going to come in off the transfer portal and contribute in the same way that he did in New Mexico? All of which to say is, I think, you know, for as, as well as the defense can play to keep them in this game, if the offense struggles, they could play their way out of it just as easily. Yeah, they they totally could because we've seen when the Rams played last year, like they were times that they weren't really competitive and they couldn't find, like you mentioned, forcing the ball everywhere. But I think, I don't know, it's I think it might come down to defense really a little bit more. It will come down to defense, I think. You think the whole thing will? I think so. Because Rams. If we look who's better, honestly, the Rams are, should be better on both sides of the ball. They should win this game. But there's enough question marks here or there, like who's going to do what. But I do think with what what we think South Dakota State can do on offense, and if we believe, like, the defensive line, we're raving about it, how it's going to be the best of Mountain's Conference. If it's that good, there should be no issue with them winning this game and starting down the Jackrabbits. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think it comes down to. I think that's where – that's kind of think how it can come out to play more defense because I don't trust the offense until the offense I can see some consistent and Steve Adagio having a solid running game McElroy whoever and then also getting the right receivers involved because Santeo also because remember that's why they wanted him versus Fresno State because for last year Fresno State had the one game versus Hawaii where Shavon Cordero ran crazy against them mm-hmm. sure you remember that like well let's have Santeo do the same thing because we thought it should be Patrick O'Brien. I'm not going to say Santos is going to run wild back there, but that's something that why they wanted him last year and it only barely worked. So I think they need to stay away from that unless it's like a design kind of like a bootleg type of deal where it's not him scrambling to run, but it's him actually using his legs to get open or to get receivers open or give him space to throw the ball. That would be helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's pretty safe to say that both – Adazio and, and John Stiegelmeyer, the South Dakota State head coach, they're both going to be more than happy to turn this into a slugfest in a, in, a, in a field position game. Which, like, we didn't we didn't mention Ryan Stonehouse yet, but I this know, is a game go. where Ryan Stonehouse, especially if if callers, they can prove that they've cleaned up the last year's issues on special teams. You know, if if he can keep the pressure on and keep flipping the field in Colorado State's favor. 
you know, that's one of those subtle things that isn't going to, isn't always apparent when you look back at it on the stat sheet. But if they can tilt field position in their favor, that's one of those real subtle things that Colorado State can take advantage of. You know, if they're, if they're starting at their own 30 or 35 more often than they're starting within, you know, at the, at the 25 or within, that is one of those things where they could create one or two more scoring opportunities that way. And if they convert just like 50% of those extra scoring opportunities, that could be the difference in this game. Yeah, five, ten yards totally can make a difference for field goals or for or something or field position. But CSU should win this game because people think Rams are really good. Like there's some who say they could get third of the conference or the division, I should say, which I don't know. But I'm predicting the Rams to win. Same. I don't see I don't see an upset happening. So I'm gonna say, oh man. Like, they should win, like, 20. I, no, because I think South Dakota State could score points. So I think it actually might be, like, 30 to 21, something like that. I think the Rams are going to survive. Survive? What's surviving? 20, look like 24 to, to 23. How do you get to 23 points? Field, field goals. <laughs> okay. I, thought, I know. But so you get uh okay. That's fair. A couple two-point conversions maybe mixed in there. Yeah, <laughs> two touchdowns, three field goals is what I was thinking. I started but, thinking, I, I started but I think about, it's the, but I think it's those those stops. Yeah, is another one of those things where if Colorado State can make enough of them, that could be all the edge they need. I was trying to do the quick math. I was going the wrong way. I wasn't thinking that. So I'm like, wait a minute. If you get count down, but okay, it survive. That's not what Rams fans want to hear. But a win's a win, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's go back in time on Thursday. Boise State at Central Florida. ESPN seven Eastern. Is it really a – oh, sorry, I was thinking – going backwards. I was thinking seven something else. Seven Eastern, four o'clock for you, Matt. So hustle home to watch the game or something or watch it however you can, right? I'm, I'm already going to be at home. I work mornings. Okay. okay, there you go. You can work mornings. That's good for you. You can watch these games. Early dinner, four o'clock kick for you. UCF is still a four-and-a-half-point home favorite, which it's down because didn't it open at like at nine back in the summer? Something Some, like that, yeah. Something high. We're like, no way. Over-unders – a, a solid 69 points there, quite a few points in this matchup. This is the game – we already had one beef with UCF fans, so I'm trying to find somebody who could do a Q&A with us and doesn't hate our guts at the moment. Huh. So well, I do think I found one person who might be willing to talk with us about it to not knowing what we've been up to. But will this win by either team really solidify anything? Because UCF fans already think they're way better than Boise, which recently – they have been better overall, but when you look historically, not even historically, this decade, 10 to 20, don't they have still two losing seasons this decade? Or is that one? No, they they have two, I believe. Oh, since 2000, though, right? Yeah. Oh, since, I guess we're in yeah, 2020. But this will be a fun game. People just think, oh, UCF's going to win. They have offense. Boise's quarterback competition. They're not as good last year. They, they didn't win the Mountain West. But remember, Central Florida wasn't very good last year either. A, UCF had, couldn't UCF couldn't stop anybody. Yeah, weren't they? They had a bad record last year. They do have a new head coach in Gus Malzahn. Boise obviously has a new head coach as well, Andy Avalos. But Gus Malzahn just keeps kind of getting jobs where Auburn's a tough gig to win, and if you don't do extremely well, you're out of there. So it's not like he's a bad coach, but he's not like an elite coach either. Mm-hmm. But with like their offense, they have nine starters back on offense, defense, whatever. Or sorry, talking about Boise State. Apologies, but they have all these guys that's coming back on this team. 
I, but I think you're right. Let's stick with the Boise offense, Eric. Do you see if can stop anybody? Kalushik here, probably the best receiver on the field. George Shalani, where, like we said all the time last year, I kept saying, at least me, if he plays, they would beat these teams, but he wasn't healthy enough to play. He didn't play enough mm-hmm. games. And so, like, oh, is he this next great back? I think he could be, because his freshman year, I think he had, what, 900 yards? Last year. His freshman year, he had 1,000 yards. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sorry, 1,000 yards. Apologies. The record's intact, apparently, with asterisks or something about that. Whatever. But he's a good running back. He just couldn't play last year. Hank Bachmar didn't play until last year because whether he got COVID or contact tracing or both, who knows. But he's a starting quarterback. I don't know if we'll see Jack Sears in this game, but they have the offense to go toe-to-toe with UCF because I think the difference could be, and we'll kind of get more detail, but like the Boise defense is probably going to could be the difference in this game. Because Central Florida's defense, psh, I don't trust them, right? Look what they did last year. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, you're talking about a defense that that gave up well over six yards per play last year. Like they were they were tied for ninth. No, they were they weren't tied for ninth. They were just ninth in the American in terms of yards per play. But at the same time, it was also a defense that like they knew how to create a lot of turnovers. They were plus twelve. Not going to happen again this year. Um, uh, I, that's really hard to predict from year to year, to your point. that That's why I think it's not like going to happen this year. Yeah. And so I think, you know, are, are they going to be that same kind of bend but don't break defense? Because it's not like they're, they're totally, you know, devoid of talent on the side of the ball. You know, Derek Gaines is, is an above average safety. Eric Gilliard's a, a, a very competent linebacker. And so to me, it's like, you know, if Boise State's offense is going to take advantage of it, I think it's going to start with Hank Bachmeyer. And, you know, how willing the new look Broncos offense is going to be to attack down the field. Because, like, we, we've seen it in the past that, that Bachmeyer is willing to hang in to try to Florida extend State. the play and make a play down the field. Yeah, like, Born exactly. State. Sacks. He got hit so many times the first year and took so many hits, so many pressures, direct shots to the gut, but kept getting up and throwing the ball downfield. He didn't care. So I mean, rather than rather than relying on on bullying UCF, you know, what what's to stop Boise State from like you know swing passes to Holani at the backfield or you know lining up Khalil Shakir in the slot because like who who on UCF secondary is gonna is gonna be able to cover him Nobody. at least consistently? And so you know you move Shakir around, you get the ball to your playmakers. I think the big difference is just what you know are they gonna find that maybe third piece? To, to consistently threaten at least a UCF with? Like, is it going to be a guy like Riley Smith at tight end? Is it going to be, you know, C.T. Thomas coming up with a big play? Or, or you know, Stephen Cobbs, who's gotten a lot of kind of rave reviews late in fall camp. It, you know, any number of those guys could be kind of like that role player guy that Boise State will need. And I think they will need it if they want to try to, to get a leg up in this game. So I have something funny for you. I'm looking at the Idaho Statesman. It's another... Great article. People like to, just whatever. Heisman candidate to welcome Boise State. Who's the Heisman candidate on UCF that's welcoming Boise State? Who says Central Florida has a Heisman candidate? Is it Dylan Gabriel? Yes, but he's not a Heisman candidate. Yeah. I think he's overrated, to be honest. Ask UCF writer. Heisman candidate, Malzone offense. Oh, geez. He's not he's a Heisman a, because- candidate. He, he, okay, so let, let's talk about Dylan Gabriel for a minute. Because he is very obviously like one of the biggest game, one of the biggest players anywhere in the group of five. 
you know, he's he's a playmaker. He's completed 60% of his passes last year through a lot of touchdowns. Hey, give me Carson Strong. I don't game. care. Give me Carson Strong. He is super careless with the football, though. <laughs> like, he only had four interceptions, but, like, I, I went back and I watched the UCF game. And I think I, I talked about this during the Boise State podcast. I'm almost sure. But Probably. there was a, like at least a, there were a number of plays where like you know he would either almost put the ball on the turf or he would put the ball on the turf but he would find a way to recover it himself. Yeah, play basketball like, out there. So if I'm looking for for Boise State to maybe potentially make an impact somewhere, it's you know whether that defensive line can force those kinds of plays like you know put you know force Gabriel to maybe get a little bit gun shy. You know, put pressure on him, force him to move his feet in the pocket or throw off balance or something like that. You know, those little things where, like, even if they aren't racking up sacks or tackles for loss, that they're just forcing him into bad throws or errant throws and, and, and winning the game on, on those kinds of mar, you know, marginal type plays. I think that's one of those big things where easier said than done, probably, but if they can do it, then that could be a like a very significant thing, in my opinion. Yeah, if it's not careful, and Boise's defense is really good. They have players on the side of the ball who will be in the NFL next year and the years after. So, but if he, like, right, if he's careless with the ball, because UCF, again, it wasn't because he wasn't good, like you mentioned, 32 touchdowns, four picks, 60% of his pass completed, led the American in yards per attempt, yards per game as well. So we know he can do, but it's a couple things like, that's like the turnover, like, you know, if the ball bounces your way, they're plus 12. Yeah, he loses and, and, one or two of those. And also, for as good as he was, their record wasn't good last year. So there's more than just he can't just will them to victory. It seems like he he in his career wants to so across across the last two seasons. He can't be goaded into mistakes. Yeah. You know, in in 2019, in games that UCF lost, which you know they were 10 and three that year, I believe. You know, he averaged, I think, two and a half yards fewer per attempt between the games that they won and the games that they lost. Games that they won, 25 touchdowns, zero interceptions. Games that they lost, four touchdowns, seven interceptions. That makes sense. You, you know, lose, his, you do not play well. Rate, his completion rate went down, and that was true of last year as well. Like in the six games they won, he completed 63% of his passes. In the four games that they lost, that number dropped to 56.7. You know, his yards per attempt last year also down by two and a half yards per per attempt. Interesting. He can be beaten. This offense can be beaten, but they're going to have to do it with their front four up front because I don't know that they don't want to get into a situation where they're having to commit more guys blitzing than is absolutely necessary. You're right because that could open other things up for him passing because he's a good passer. Exactly. Just, we're looking for things like we're clearly not saying he's not like he's good. Like when I say he has been candid, it's because. The only Heisman candidate from outside that has been 31 years, Ty Detmer. It's like, come on. Mm-hmm. He's not a Heisman candidate. Like, Alex Smith was top four. Randy Moss was the best player in college football, wasn't, wasn't even close. You had Derek Carr, you've had Kellen Moore. Like, all these guys who are really good, not even, like, they may be top five at best. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not, they're not getting there. They're, Sean King, not a close undefeated Chilean, all these guys, no. Like, Marshall Falk, not close. Ladanian Tomlinson, not close despite being really, really good players. So, he could still be a really, really good player. Not going to Heisman because I think what nine of the past twelve have been in a playoff team, won the Heisman Trophy, something like that, mm-hmm. or whatever. Maybe not playoff, but playoff for championship BCS title team. Like he's really good, but you are right. Like I'm looking through the same things you were at. He was all the things you mentioned in losses in 2019. 
and a little bit of, of luck on not losing the ball, not necessarily him, but in general. Plus 12, it's hard to replicate. Heck, imagine, like, how weren't they plus 12 and had a losing record last year? How no, does no, that no, they were They were 6-4 and four last year. Oh, I thought they're, oh, I thought they're, oh, my bad. Okay. How do you go six and four? Same, and almost, I could still almost make the same comment. For some reason, I thought they were like barely 500. Maybe some, I was looking at something you, else. You, well, they were almost 500. Okay. The, okay. It's sort of one game. And, 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 and here's the most telling, here's the most telling thing of all. Like you, I mentioned that he struggled in games that they lost last year. The games that UCF lost last year, and I, and I pointed this out, I pointed this out on Twitter, um, Careful. you know, about a week Careful. ago at this point. Careful. UCF lost to every single team they played that finished above 500 last year. So they beat all the crappy teams. Sort of, yeah. I mean, as we're saying, that's the teams they beat last year. They they, they got yes. they got blown up by BYU, and they yep. lost they lost one score games to Tulsa, Memphis, and Cincinnati. In two of those three games, Gabriel completed under 55 percent of his passes. If I'm Boise State, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to force him to throw a lot. I'm looking for him to throw really inefficiently, and I'm looking to force him into mistakes. And it, and it's all going to start up front. Yeah, because I do remember that bowl game last year. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a pretty good game, and BYU just crushes them. It's so yeah. bad. Like, they were close. Like, the Memphis K, give him a little credit, 50-49 to 49 versus Memphis, 36-33 Cincinnati. But they're still losses. They're all one-possession losses outside of BYU. But then again, like, look at, to beat South Florida, they had to score 56 points to beat them. Like, there's games where they had to score. East Carolina put up 28 points for them, and they're not any good. And so some of these teams are playing, like, the defense, as you see in the losses, too, like, they're giving up points. Mm-hmm. And so I'd these offense. We'll be able to move the ball. Like, like I mentioned, Holani, Shakir, Pakamar, slinging down the field. And then we look at South Florida, who they needed to beat. South Florida was 1-10 last year. Or what? One the only game they won was Citadel. Not a they great team. To, yeah, and Central Florida. What did I say? They needed to whatever they needed a lot of points to beat them. I don't have it in front of me anymore. I kept scrolling back, but they needed a lot of points to beat that team. So, mm-hmm. what's the lines? What four and a half? Do you have the does FP plus or an FEI have? No, stats unfortunately, they they haven't come out with that yet. But you know, when we record part two of this, we can always kind of throw that in there right at the onset before jumping into those games. Totally can. Really quick, I have, I have FPI though. It's ready. Would you okay. like to take right. take take a game of FPI? Uh, I'm gonna guess that they probably favor UCF. True. I am gonna guess that they is it by percentage or is it by spread? It is percentage. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna say they give them probably roughly a three and four chance. Dang, you're good at this game. Seventy six point one percent chance. Okay. Seventy six point one. They also have really quick the pick center team rankings. Has, um, how am I reading this properly? 37 to 30 for UCF. Technically 37 3 to 30.8, so it's like a six, seven point game, six and a half. Number five, 32.8 to 28.6. I, I, I actually put money in this game for Boise State to cover, because it's four and a half. Okay. Did you know, do you know what the record is against a group of five teams since joining the Mountain West? Are they undefeated? Yes, 15-0, non-conference games. Yeah, I think I saw B.J. Reigns mention something about that. Probably. I happened to see it somewhere else, too, because Ghost Malzone mentioned it in his press conference or something earlier, whatever it was I was reading just now. I think they're going to win because UCF, like you mentioned, the teams they played that were good last year, they couldn't get it done. And if Hank Bachmeyer is what he was, a late freshman, and I'm going to say it's going to be 
Because over under is almost 70 points. I think it's going to be like, I think it's going to be slightly under, but I'm going to go 35-32 Boise State. I think they'll get the narrow victory on the road. All touchdowns. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just don't, like, I don't know if Boise State can win a shootout. 35 points is not a shootout. But I'm, I mean, I know that. <laughs> I'm just saying. So you tell me it's going to be like, they need, UCF's going to score a lot of points then. You don't like the I Boise think, defense I think so. then? I just don't know if, okay, so I like Boise State's defense. I just don't know if they're going to be disruptive enough to keep UCF off the scoreboard as often as they're going to need to. I don't know. It's going to be a good game. It's going to be close, right? I mean, I think it'll be close, but I, wait, what did you, what did you say the line was to get again? Four and a half, 69 over under. I, I guess I would take UCF to cover then because I have them winning 40 to 31. Dang. People aren't going to like you, Matt. <laughs> it's all good. Um, I don't know. I like Boise State's defense a bit more than I think they can get to the quarterback in. Not allow Gabriel to have a huge mega game, so that's where I'm going here. So you have you have UCF. What'd you say? Forty to forty to thirty one. Is that the yeah. final? Okay, I got thirty five, thirty two. Boise State. Regardless, watch the game. It's a late. It's a game right to get off work or whatever. If you have that schedule, <laughs> lucky for you because I have the night shift essential and I work till like ten o'clock yeah. most nights. But I have a lecture and also watch you while what I do for work, so it's not a big deal. But Great game on Thursday. Watch whatever games you can. Get ready for Saturday because there's another six more games we'll talk about. In the no, no, there's so eight more games. There's eight? I said six or something. There's a no, lot. We, we, we talked about four. Oh, there's oh eight more to come in part There's two. eight more? Oh, my gosh. So many games. Non-conference games are so fun and long. Yeah, you, we have, you'll, you'll be preoccupied from, what, 11 in the morning on Saturday until probably midnight. At least. College football's Let's back, man. Yeah, Portland State at Hawaii. Eight or eight, technically, I like how they put nine fifty nine Mountain Time for me because it's eleven fifty nine Eastern. Yeah, it's uh, all day. Just we got we got some good games too, like Nevada we'll, Cal. We'll get to was, that. We'll get to that. We'll get to them all. We'll, we'll get to them all. We got some openers, but we're wrapping up for tonight. We're done. We'll talk with you next time. Check us out mwr.com. Um, Twitter, subscribe. Go to all our stuff on the website. I have our previews up this week. Some. I'm going to start the quarterback rankings this week as well since we got a couple games on the books to get that going and some other fun stuff. So we'll see you next time. And, yeah, be back in a couple days to hit download and subscribe again for the official full final half of week one preview.